Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. I'm going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians today, and I have no doubt that God has something for you today, no matter what position in life you are today. Uh, For those parents in the room, it'll be a heavier dose. You'll get a bigger gulp out of today's word. But I think there's something for everyone. I'm confident in it. The Lord really spoke to me this week as I'm in 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, But let me give you just a couple of just kind of icebreakers, if you will. I've been doing this every week just to kind of get your uh, humor going because I'm going to try to obviously make you laugh some. That's what I do. So anyway, here's a couple of parenting memes to kind of have a little fun to begin with. Here's the first one. You can go ahead and pop it up for me. Uh, Maybe. There we go. Hey, things are working. Me trying to figure out why my tween daughter is crying. I'm kind of entering that phase. Um, That can be really confusing. That could be any age woman. Men in the room, that could be any age woman. Um, All right, next image. Actual footage of my children getting ready for school. Um, Very true. Or church this morning, right? All right, next. Silence is golden unless you have a toddler. In that case, silence is very suspicious. Very true. If you've ever babysitted my kids, if they, it's better for them to be making a lot of noise because if they're quiet, they're doing something horrible. All right, next. Grandparents be like, one little snack before you go home. Some of you in the room, you grandparents are causing such problems and happy about it. All right, last but not least, parenting in public versus parenting at home. And that's all of you, so don't lie to me. I know how it's going. All right, let's, let's get into this thing. That's fun. You know, raising kids can be a lot of fun. If you have the right mindset, if you, if you take the right actions and, and you, you kind of get, get this thing uh, going, it can be a whole lot of fun. But it often can be extremely, if not always, extremely demanding. And it causes you to ask a lot of questions. Uh, and that's really where we're going to be today is this idea, this final idea of what it would mean to release your children to the Lord, this this phase of trying to manage them when they're young and how to discipline them, how to deal with them, and then what does it look like to be able to leave them and push them on to Christ and whatever endeavors he has set for them. So it, it causes all these questions, like when they're little, like how do I, how do I get past this potty training phase? How, how do I know when they're old enough to really respond to Jesus? That's a huge question. It's like, when do I know if they're ready to be baptized? When do I know if they're really made a good confession of faith? That's a huge question. How do I know if my teenager now is really walking with Christ because they've entered this phase where they won't talk to me anymore? (laughs) They like to lock themselves in their room. And strange things begin to happen to, to us as we journey with them as parents. But this is true in discipleship period. This This is the point, I guess, underlying that I want to make all day today is parenting is a form of discipleship, a very, very important form of stewardship and discipleship. So so no matter what kind of journey you're, if you're mentoring someone, if you're coaching someone that's not even your blood, you will go through this process of how do I know if they've really changed, if they're really walking with Christ, all of these questions remain the same. And that's what Paul is going to get into as he's dealing with the church in Thessalonica. He's trying to get them to understand his strategy as a leader. And godly parents can recognize this too. Godly people can. Did you know that because Christ has given each and every one of us believers 
the Great Commission, he has automatically made each and every one of us leaders. Now, some of you in the audience are like, I've never led anything. I'm not the leading type. Well, just understand Christ sees you totally different. That's not how he sees you. He sees you as not only the leader as a mother and father, but a leader in your workplace, even if you're not in charge, even if you're not the boss of anything, you are a spiritual leader wherever you go. Why? Because the Great Commission says so. This is a very important thing that we need to understand. No matter where we go, we are disciple-making leaders. And as parents, it's our primary responsibility. And so we're in the, we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we see here Paul teaching them and discipling them and, and really giving us this perfect image of what it looks like to be a godly mother and a godly father. But he's using it in the sense of servant leadership. Understand, he's not saying, I'm literally your mother and father. He's talking about servant leadership. And we can learn a whole lot from this, how we can not only parent, but also disciple following God's word to match the situation, whether it's the child or whether it's someone we're walking through life with. How can we follow God's word and really release our children to the Lord. We're going to see here, and I'm going to put them in parenting styles, but these things will be effective in leadership, okay? Three parenting styles we can follow in releasing our children to the Lord. So let's dig into the scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 7. I'm going the wrong way. <clears throat> there you are. Okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Derek, I just spotted you back there, brother. I, I, I had, a, I had an, a moment of wanting to hug you, and then I remembered I've got a lot of electronics on me. I'm like, this is going to be bad for both of us. Um, just know in my heart I wanted to give you a hug. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. It says this, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready, listen to this church, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Look, you are our witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how. Like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you. And encouraged you and charged you. To walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. All right, I'm going to let you under the hood just for a minute to see exactly where I got these three parenting styles. They're all there in verse 12. The main imperatives, those are those command verbs. They're all right there in verse 12. Paul says to these fellow believers, these people he's been discipling, he says, we exhorted, we encouraged, and we charged. So this, the first thing is about exhortation, to which I have, in, have titled this point, show and tell. When they are young, show and tell when they are young. Now, that could be a person who's young in their faith, in which you would also show and tell what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. But when you're dealing with a child, understand this. There's a certain age that you have the opportunity to show and tell. There's also a certain age where it stops working. It isn't as effective. I've noticed show and tell is not as effective on my 14-year-old as it is on my 4-year-old. 
Just a fact. Because something happens somewhere around 12 to 14, I don't know, maybe sooner for some of you, where they begin to believe that they know all things. They begin to believe this. And people are like this too. You'll run into this as spiritual leaders, as people trying to walk with us. You'll find some people start to know everything, and then show and tell becomes ineffective. You've got to move to something else. But when we first begin in this process, and some of you have children this age, some of you are walking with young believers, step one is this word exhortation, exhort, show and tell. This is where I got the idea. The Greek word here is parakaluntes. Para is always to come alongside. Kaluntes sounds kind of like to call out, I imagine to you. It should. It's the idea of to call alongside. What Paul is saying is, as a leader, the first thing I wanted to do with you was call you alongside me. Why? Because I want you to see in the way in which I do things. A great leader first shows a person how to do it. I heard this wild story. I don't know. It may have been some of you. A guy was telling me about how his first, one of his first jobs in plumbing, I think it was, was they sent him up to this second story in a church or something and said, hey, go fix this problem and this is, this is how you do it. But no one ever walked him up there and said, here's the tools you need. Here's the kind of stuff. They just said, hey, go fix that toilet upstairs. And he was there all day looking at the problem, probably half the time looking at the problem going, I need an adult. I need an adult. That's, that's, that's not good leadership. If you're an employer today, understand you hire a new person, treat them like an infant. It's better for them. Here's how, when I first was in pharmacy, people said, this is how you count pills. I understand you know how to count, but there's a right way to do this. Don't do it by twos. There's some weirdos out there that do two, three, two, three. That's strange, okay? You count by fives. You train people. You show and tell. Guess what kids come out knowing? Nothing. Nothing. They can't feed themselves. They won't even sleep on time. That's how they, that's how they come out. So you go through this lengthy period of time called show and tell, called exhortation. This word exhort means to beseech, to admonish. In other words, it means come, I'll show you, and then I will begin to tell you. Exhort. And then he goes on to in verses 7 through 9, to say the reason in which this is how he treated people. Now, I love this passage because it's got so much to say for us as parents, but it also has so much to say in how we address one another as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a great passage just for the church. Because 7 through 9 paints a picture of what church should really look like. And sadly, it often doesn't look this way. Verse 7, he says, we were gentle among you. As spiritual leaders, we were gentle among you. That means like a nursing mother. <laughs> I've noticed something in every, every nursing mother I've ever met. They have a tendency to be a lot less selfish. That's one of the more selfless people. God just puts that in women. Men don't quite get that. <laughs> i got to admit, as men, we have to work on that more. We don't, we don't have that natural bond. But that's why Paul uses this illustration. He says, like a nursing mother, I was gentle and I was affectionately desirous of you. This is a wonderful word. It's just one word in the Greek to define that big term. It's the idea of a desire, a longing for love. Boy, what would church look like if that's the way people felt about each other? Like that's a different kind of thing there. 
I am affectionately desirous of you. Not in some sort of romantic way. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, I long to see you grow in faith. I long to see where God's going to lead you on your journey. This, This spiritual longing of, I want more for you today than yesterday. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in your marriage and with your kids and you you literally and genuinely are praying for people, not just their requests, but the heart underneath it. This is a wonderful picture of what the church should be, that we genuinely care for each other. We try to attain that in small groups, and sometimes we get close to that, but there's a heart change that has to occur, where I don't just think about myself anymore, which is really hard work. It really is. And I'm not belittling you if that's where you've come today. I struggle with this all the time because guess what I hear? Maybe more than some of you, I hear people's prayers. And the only way that I can pray effectively is to become affectionately desirous of you. I can't pray effectively until I start to go, God, I want your best for him, for her. And this prayer here, I don't know. They're praying it would go this way, God. But I don't know if that's what you desire. I love them enough to pray that God, you would move in their life and do the thing that is best, even if it's not what they expect. That's a different kind of way of thinking of one another. He says, leaders, for sure, spiritual leaders, you have to reach this place. If you're doing life-on-life discipleship with people, if you're trying to disciple your children, you have to reach a place where you care more about whether they do the right action, or you care more about their heart. They may mess up stuff along the way. Good parenting is not getting your kids to do everything right all the time. That isn't it. And you're not going to get it. You, you will not succeed at that. Do you know why I know this? Because you look at yourself in the mirror. Do you do everything right? Do you succeed? Every, you know, I set my mind to things all the time, and I just completely botch the assignment. I do it a lot. I was helping a guy stain a deck not too long ago, and I realized stain is so much like painting. In fact, it might as well be the same thing, and I hate painting. I hate it. And stain is runnier than paint, and it started getting everywhere. And I'm like, I am such an OCD, a perfectionist kind of guy, and I just got that stain there. Now I'm running around trying to figure. I knew what I needed to do, and yet I messed up. Guess what your kids are going to do? That times ten. They got fumbly little hands when they're little. They don't know how to do half the stuff you're you're demanding of them. And this is stuff, a lot of what you're doing as a parent is very important stuff that they need to learn how to do. But just know this, your main priority, your number one priority is a change of heart. And it's the same is true with you as a mentor in someone's life. You're, You're walking through a journey with someone who's come to Christ, who maybe you're just a little bit ahead of. They're not going to get everything right. But is the heart changing? Wow, that's more valuable. That's what Paul's talking about. To which he goes on in verse 8 to say something that didn't, I have to admit, it didn't translate as beautifully as it could. I think the English would have been somewhat demanding. But what he really says in verse 8 is, we didn't just share the gospel of God. The, The English says we shared our own selves. The word their own selves is psuche, where we get the word psychology. In the Greek, it means soul. I shared not only the gospel, but my own soul. That's deeper than just, yeah, I spent time with you. He's saying way more than that. I gave you my all. I let you see deep inside. Some of you are in community groups and small groups right now, and you haven't opened up yet. You're not doing what Paul's talking about. 
You're not sharing your soul. Now, some of you, I got to admit, some of you do this on day one. You're, you're early adopters. Praise God for you. You scare people sometimes, but that's okay. Wow, I know, I know your whole life story in five minutes. That's, you are good, sir. And that's, that's not a bad thing. But some of us hold that back, especially in leadership. We may hold this back thinking we're protecting people. Like if they knew, they knew everything about me, they wouldn't follow me anymore. If they really knew what I was thinking and doing and what was going on with me, they probably... No, Paul says, that's not how I led. I let you see me, all of me. And then he goes on to say, but guess what? My desires, all of that. Verse 9 is so important. And I want to paint a picture for you, my friends, not only as, as leaders in the world, but also as parents. This idea of labor and toil. These are not light words here. These words, <laughs> I looked up the translations here. I'm like, these, I've not seen these, these words before. It's the idea of intense labor united with trouble and toil. A hard, difficult travail, a beating. One of them, labor means, the word kapos means a beating. Paul says, I worked myself to death for you. I worked hard for you. So that I would so that what? I wouldn't be a burden. Now that speaks, and this isn't most of your roles, but that, that speaks to me uniquely as a pastor, because what you see culturally is the opposite of this. I'm baffled by that. I don't want to spend much time speaking on it, but I don't see myself driving a Maserati. It's just not going to be the nature of things, because that doesn't look like labor and toil to me. That looks like I'm being a burden. I won't do it. I refuse. I, in fact, I've recently been thinking, I wonder if God at some point wants me to be bivocational so that I can get back out there. I miss the opportunities I used to have to, wit to witness to people in a natural setting. They're harder now. I have to do these weird conversations at, uh, with the grocery store and with people. And as soon as they find out I'm a pastor, it's going to go sideways. So I'm like incognito mode. But I have this pastor thing written on my forehead. People figure it out quick. I don't want to be a burden. But this speaks to something as a parent that I know you're not going to like me when I say it, but what would cause our kids to feel like their parents are being a burden to them? What would be the kinds of things that would seem like burdensome parents? I'll give you a couple. You're not going to like these, but take them anyway. If you're constantly requesting them to do things around the house or whatnot, and they never see you do any of those things or that's confusing. It may feel like a burden to them. Something I try to model here at church, and I know I don't always get this right, but if, if I've asked my worship team, if I've asked anybody, and some of you were on this journey with me back when we were at Rocky Mount Academy, I was the first one there and the last one to leave generally. And if anybody's sweating, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a sweat on. Why? It's not because I want, I'm not proud. I'm not trying to be prideful. I want people to see show and tell. That I'm modeling something. I'm trying to do this with my kids. I don't get this right all the time. But if I've asked my son to mow, I'm going to show him how to do it. I'm going to be out there with him doing stuff. If I've, if I've said, hey, kids, wash the dishes, and this is becoming a nightly chore for them, they didn't have to do it for a long time. Though. And I modeled it to them. And guess who cooks the dinner? Me or mommy. So I'm like, this is a fair trade, my friend. It's kind of an unfair trade. I hate washing dishes. I'd much rather cook. But maybe one of these days they'll learn how to cook me something and I'll wash it. This this show and tell. 
exhortation. I labor and I toil. Are you doing this at work? This, is, this one's troubling, right? You didn't see this coming today. But what if you as a coworker, are the lazy guy on the team? How well do you think your witness is? Do you think you have an effective witness when everybody on your little work group thinks you're the lazy one? They don't want to be like you. In fact, they're ashamed of you. But if you're the hardest working, the one, the one who models Christ-like behavior, they may listen when you have something to say. Show and tell, labor and toil for Christ Jesus. All of these things for His glory. Show them by example. Here's what Paul says to the Philippian church. He says, pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. Are, are you able to say that not only to your disciples, but also to your children? Hey, follow my example. You know what I hate to hear, parents? I do not like this. I would cut this from your language. Do what I say and not as I do. That should not be a thing you do, period. That makes no sense as a Christian. Do as I say and not as I do, huh? No, do as I do and do as I say. That's what Paul says continuously. I could go to place after place where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't walk behind me if I'm not walking behind Christ. But if I am, follow. Walk beside me. He says and to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, he says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? He says, hey, if you'll do what is right, if you'll walk with Christ, I'll come with a spirit of gentleness. Otherwise, I'm coming with a rod. This is him talking to other adults. This is, this is a unique way to lead. He says, I'd be more than happy to show up and say, well done. But I might have to show up and choose some people out. Any of you have been in any leadership, that's, that's part of it. It's certainly part of it as parents. The question is, are you doing both pieces? I found generally people are really good at one or the other. I'm the encourage. I don't want to be the disciplinarian. You, honey, you be the disciplinarian. I want to be the guy who comes and says, "Hey, good stuff." I like the clap. I want to be clapping, mommy. No. So your kids are going to grow up thinking, "Mommy has no backbone," and Daddy scares me a little bit. No, 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 no. Split the roles evenly. Be both. A good leader is both. I may have to show up in the room and go, this is not okay. We need to change this immediately. Or, well done. Be both. That's what it looks like to be Christian leaders. Now, I want to give you a couple of things. I don't want to over-diagram you today. Because i got to admit, if you ever dive into parenting world, <laughs> there are books after books after books. And they're not all good. Some of them are great. But I want to give you a couple of things. Here's a, a quick graph for those of you who are on the parenting journey with me. Understand something. If they're zero to five, they need to learn concrete thinking. They are not thinking abstractly very well. They may ask abstract questions at times, but give them an abstract answer and they'll go, huh? Zero to five, they need rules. But I want to be their friend. I want the relationship. They're not ready they need rules to follow, zero through five. Six through ten, you begin to move into the relationship where you're starting to get to more abstract thinking, such that when you're in these teenagers, teenage phase, this resolve phase, you've built something, you've built the foundation, you don't have to go back to rules. Now, what is troubling for some of you, and I want you to know this, it's never too late to get this right God is at work in your life, so if you've messed this up on the journey, don't feel ashamed or guilty. God can work through you right where you are. 
But understand this. If you've got little ones, don't wait on rules and obedience until they're teenagers. It will not work very well. And a lot of people kind of do this. They have fun, 0 through 10. There's not a lot of rules. There's tons of grace. It's buddy-buddy. And then they go 11 to 18, and they go, I don't know where this kid came from. I, I, I know where that, that kid came from. <laughs> that, that kid needed, he needed, a, I would say he needed a spanking, but he needed something when he was four. Now he's 14. You can't spank him now. You, you can't send him to, well, you can, but. You can do all those rule things now, and they're going to buck against it. They're going to buck against it because it doesn't make sense at this point in the journey. Now, if that's where you are today, teenage parent, lots of prayer, lots of work. Begin to build the relationship. Don't put them in prison. It's, you put them in, in, in confinement now, and you're going to let them loose one day. They have to leave eventually, and they're going to come out of there going crazy. So find this happy balance where you you got some rules that need to come in place, but find ways to show grace and tons of prayer. Here's a, here's a book that I would recommend to you. It's very short, very quick, called Situational Parenting. Some of you leaders in the room may have read Situational Leadership back in the day. It's based on that model. But it's the idea that whatever phase of life you're in in parenting, you take them into that quadrant. So pop up the next thing. So the first graph you're going to find yourself in is... S1, this is this idea, if you understand graphs, and some of you don't, you're like, okay, don't worry about this, all right, just take a nap for a minute. But, uh, but on one side, you've got teaching them to honor, on the, on the bottom side, you've got teaching them to obey. When they're in this first quadrant, they're, they're 0 to 6, 0 to 5, you're just teaching them to obey, and that's where we are, exhortation. You're showing and you're telling, and your expectation is, follow me as I follow Christ. Not make your own decisions. You make bad decisions. You're not ready to make your own decisions. Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay. Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and mother. That's where this graphing comes from. Another, another good read, and I don't want to give you too many of these, but Ginger Plowman's book, Don't Make Me Count to Three. It's a joke kind of title if you're wondering, but she says, Set the standard of obedience we should expect instant obedience from our children. Some of y'all are like, huh? She's not kidding. This isn't a joke. Teach them that God wants them to obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. The joking title is, don't make me count to three, is a really bad parenting strategy. And the reason is, you're teaching them, I don't have to do what I'm told immediately. Have you ever heard a word from the Lord, friends? You ever been reading your Bible and gone, I'm not this way yet and I need to be this way? You ever feel like God says, okay, but I'll give you, I'll give you a few years. God somehow says, hey, don't, you know, I'm going to count to three. You'll get there eventually. It's like, I read this and if I don't instantly do it, my life will suffer. If I don't decide to make a change, I'm going to go through a time of suffering. I've noticed if I deal with anybody in the corporate world, if they ask me to do a thing, they're going to come back in a little while and say, hey, did you do that thing? And if I say, I was kind of thinking you'd give me a couple of warnings. Well, here's your warning. You do it and you don't make me come back and warn you again or, or you can go get another job. That's the corporate world. The military is really great. If you didn't learn that lesson on any of these journeys, they don't count to three in the army. They never do. It better be yes, sir, or you're in the dirt doing, doing work. 
You're going to be sweating for Jesus, I can tell you that. You're going to be sweating for Uncle Sam. This isn't how the real world works is what I'm trying to explain. So we're teaching our kids a, a way, a pattern of living that doesn't match up with real life. So they learn, oh, mommy will count to three. No, what, what would be better is learning instant obedience. Let me move to the next one. The next parenting style, show and tell now, coach and encourage. Coach and encourage as they grow. This is a fun one. Verse 12, it says, we exhorted you. Paul's here talking about himself, Silas, and Timothy. That's who's on this journey. And he says, hey, we exhorted you. We came alongside and showed you how. But we also encouraged you. This word encourage is another one of those para words. It literally means, hey, come along and I'm going to keep my arm around you is more the intent of this one. So like show and tell, but also, hey, look, I love what we're doing together. And I'm for what you're for. And so it's this coaching kind of environment. Some of you kind of get that more naturally. There, there's, there's a different type of parent that, that gets hey, the coaching style. Some of us can be more authoritarian. I'm very good at show and tell. I'm good at giving the rules. I'm not quite as good at saying, hey, man, you can do better. This is going well and kind of the arm around you thing. But this is an area of growth for us. Encourage Come alongside. You can do it. And he says, like a father. Verses 10 through 11, in fact, he says, this is the way in which I encouraged and coached you. You bore witness to it, he says in verse 10, that I lived holy, I lived righteous, I lived as blameless as possible in my conduct towards you believers, like a father to his children. That's the way in which I'm encouraging Paul is saying, on this journey with you Thessalonians, I, I switched my styles. It started off nurturing, started to see you grow up a little bit. And then I put my arm around you. You're doing a good, you're doing a good thing. Colossians chapter 3, I, I read this last week as well, but fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Understand the power of your speech, the, the power parents that you have. Some of you in the room may feel like you're powerless. It's not so. You're powerful. And sometimes the things that carry the most weight are the things you say that actually discourage. So you, you didn't mean to tell your kid that he was slow, but the way in which you said it made him go, am, am I not... Am I slow? I, I accidentally compared my oldest to my youngest or something. There was some comparison I did as a parent. And I didn't think, I didn't think two thoughts about it. But this child has walked away going, well, I guess I'm not as good as big brother. That was not the intent. And yet the power, the weight of discouragement. You also have that same power, that same weight in the words you use to encourage. In fact, studies, there have been a lot of studies on, on just workplace leadership. Servant kind of leadership. And they found again and again, I think it will always be true, they have found that the kind of places that experience the most peace, joy, the kind of businesses that thrive the best, that think they have the greatest uh, community and leadership are the places where the leaders not only work hard, show and tell, but are also encouraging. This idea this idea of servant leadership, we started seeing a lot of books on this in the last several decades. 
It's funny to me, though, that it took us so long to start writing these books when one was already written. We'd had this for quite a while. The model that Christ himself gives us is one of servant leadership. The night that Jesus is betrayed, he washes people's feet. He's in there showing and modeling something extremely important. The greatest among you shall be the least. These teachings, this way he lives. And these people were willing to follow him and die for him. That's the kind of leader. Now he's so much more because he's not only leader but savior. Not only Lord but savior. But Just in the way we parent, we model in the same way. There's more power, my friend. There's more power in encouragement than discouragement. There's more power. As a leader, as you're walking with someone else in Christ Jesus, there's more power and encouragement. Well, you know, Jonathan, that sounds really great and all, but if, if you were dealing with, with this kid of mine, you would see that there's really nothing to currently encourage. Uh, everything that that kid does is a disaster. Well, you're going to have to get creative in your encouragement. You're going to have to get creative. Maybe... The way in which they fell off the couch today was graceful. Now, I told you not to be jumping on the couch. I know that probably hurt, but I got to admit, that was a heck of a jump. (laughs) The kid will get up. You might encourage a daredevil. That's not necessarily your goal there. But you got to get creative at times to find ways to build up your kids because an encouraging word, a blessing, is always more powerful than a curse. A curse, some, some will just run from you from curses. They just, I don't want to be around the person who curses. So it may be that you're telling me things that are true, but rather than hear that, I'm just going to walk off. But everybody likes encouragement. And if you can encourage your children, coach them in the Lord. Here's what he says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. We must also consider how to encourage each other to show love and to do good things. This is... If there were a secondary verse, and there's not, but if there were for community groups, I would say this would be a good one for the running. Is that what are we doing getting together? Why do we do church together? Why do we get together in our homes together? That we might encourage each other to love and good works in the name of Christ Jesus. This might be a good check for some of you in the room who are in groups where things are very discouraging. All you ever talk about is how everything's going wrong. How about this week you throw a little love, a little bomb in the room and say, hey, you know, this is going well in my life. The Debbie Downers in the room, we love you. We love you in Christ Jesus. But can you just, leaders in the room, shepherds in the room, ask that person, hey, can you give me one thing you see God doing in your life right now? What's that thing where you see him moving and you know something is coming? I want to give you this this graph. I don't know if these are hitting on much. Y'all can tell me after service, hey, that graph's confusing. I don't know what I'm looking at there. But this next phase that you enter into with 7 through 12 is now you're moving not only from high obedience but also to high in honor. That's like the, the most work you will ever have in your parenting life. It's also the most work you will have as a leader in any business is this phase where you're not only teaching them a lot of important things to do, but also the reason to do it. A a baby to five doesn't really need to know the reason so much, but somewhere seven to 12, they need to start going, they're going to start asking you too, why? And you better have a decent reason other than 
well, I told you so works kind of for a little while. It's not terrible because, you know, I'm your father and what I tell you is important. But somewhere around 10, 12, you start going, okay, you need to wash the dishes. Here's why. Because if you don't, it's going to be a hot mess that somebody's got to clean up. And you don't have to do a whole lot around here. So you're doing dishes. And last I checked, you don't help me pay this bill. I have a lot of bills. I start doing this. I don't know. You can tell me later. That doesn't sound like great parenting. I think it is. To every once in a while, I'll say, all right, here's the kinds of things that mommy and daddy are having to deal with on a monthly basis. Look at this utility bill. This is insane. We live in Rocky Mount, y'all. These utility bills are ridiculous. They just are. Oh, they're going to lower these prices one of these days. I have not seen that. Y'all tell me when that's coming. But I'll show them that. Well, Dad, I, I don't even have that much money. I've never seen that much money. I'm like, I don't see it much because I keep having to do this. I, 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 and this comes every month. It's crazy. Or I'll let them fill up my gas tank. You know a 12-year-old can pump gas. They can do it. 14-year-old better know how to pump some gas. Some of you are a little behind. Show them. They can pump gas. And they go, are those numbers scrolling up? Are those... Those dollars? Yeah, those are, those are dollars. Grandma didn't give you that much for your birthday, I know. And I have to put that in there every week. Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. I bought a truck. Seemed like a good idea at the time. I have regrets at the pump, though. These are the kinds of things I do so that they would learn not only they should do it, but why they should do it. Sometimes it's just honor stuff. And this is okay, my parents, my friends, my, even leaders in the room. It's okay sometimes. You do this because it's the right thing to do. Because the opposite of this would be incorrect. So this is why we do it this way. Here's the third and final style. Charge and send. I pulled that right from the text. He says exhorted, he says encouraged, and then he says charged. You charge them, you send them. This is the stage of life that should be and could be a great joy to you, my friends. It could be a great joy to you as a leader. It's often been, as, as a church leader, it has felt somewhat like initially a burden, but when I think about it, it's something I feel a lot of, of, of uh, pride and joy towards. So some of you have been on this journey with us as a church for several years, and some of you remember people we've had on stage over the years. There's been a lot of great servants over the years here. And some of them went on to do other things. Our, our very first worship guy was a little fellow named Devin. I used to pick on him quite a lot from stage to his chagrin, but nevertheless. And he went off to seminary. He's working on his seminary education. He's serving a church there. It's awesome. It hurt at first because he was a lot of help. There was a fellow named Nathan, big bearded guy, used to swallow the whole mic like just crazy. Very helpful. You he helped me a ton at RMA, helped me here. Sent him off. He's in Pennsylvania now. Still has a desire to go on the mission field to Siberia. Wonderful. Heard at the time, but charging and sending is awesome. Charlie was a great help. Some of you remember her. I've had a lot of people on this journey. I've also had the joy. And don't hear me say this, church. The joy of serving with some people who have been here that whole time. Christy, and I see you eyeballing me. Huge help. If she left, it would be hard, super hard. We've had those kind of people too. But the charging and sending is wonderful. It's wonderful. It's a phase as a parent that is the most joyous phase if the other stuff you've been doing along the way. So here's the good news to you parents in the room of those zero through tens. There's a great deal 
of, of, of good work you can be doing. If you've already made some mistakes, it's okay. God can work through this. We're moving towards this phase now of at 18, 19, whenever they finally leave the house. Some of you are like, it better be 18. When they finally get out of the house. I want that moment to be a moment where I say, you are the Lord's man. You are the Lord's woman. Go and do as he's called you. That I could finally say something I used to hear growing up when I'd leave the house, go, go out and, and hang out with my friends or wherever. If I was leaving the house, my dad would say this almost every time. I haven't really used it yet. I haven't had to use it yet, but I'm going to. He would say, remember who you are and whose you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. Who you are, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ Jesus. Whose I am, I am his. Above all else, I'm his. So that when I go on this date, when I go out and hang out with my friends, who I am really is Christ's. So that maybe at 18, I could finally say to Nate or whoever else on this journey, I can say, remember who you are and whose you are. And they would walk off to college and all these maddening places, these crazy places people can go. And they would, they would bear the cross and walk with him. Charge. The word here, charge, in verse 12, as I'm kind of coming to a close, this word charge is the word marturio. It's where we get the word martyr. He is charging them and saying, no matter where you go, bear witness. My friends, in Christ Jesus, because of what he's done for us, never be ashamed of the gospel. That's the charge. You're never ashamed of the gospel. I send you forth. This is the way Paul has lived. Silas, Timothy, Barnabas, these guys going on the journey. We lived unashamed of the gospel in your life. Now I charge you do likewise. Kids growing up, if they get nothing else from you, that they would be supercharged with the gospel of God. The gospel of Christ Jesus. They would leave saying, this isn't my dad's message. This is mine. This is who I am. That you would leave this place today, I would feel highly successful as a pastor if you left today knowing this charge of the gospel is mine. Because it is. It's yours. And it's mine too. As we walk out of this place, Paul says, I charge you, bear witness, marturio, according to what? The calling. To walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Just as Jesus sent his disciples, now we're being sent. Parents, we're sending and charging our kids. Look what Jesus says in John 20. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. This is true of all believers. Christ was sent to us to die and to sacrifice for our salvation. Now, we are sent with that message. That is our number one job. More than preaching, more than health care, more than teaching, whatever your profession. Number one, just as I sent my son Jesus, so I am sending you. I want to give you this last group of graphics. If you, you can go, home, go ahead and go to the last one there. This is the phase where you move from no longer needing tons of guidance. No longer needing a ton of support. Parents, that's where you want to land, isn't it? Otherwise, you have these things that we call boomerangs. You keep throwing them out and they keep coming back because they fail to launch. But if you can teach them, hey, these are the right 
things to do. These are the right reasons to do them. And above all else, the reason that I do all of this would go back to Colossians and say, I do all things, whatever I do, with all my heart for the glory of God. Not for mom and dad. Not for my friends. That I would do it for the glory of God. Let me close our text this morning with what I preached on a couple of weeks ago and just a good reminder to you what it says in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. At the end of the day, my friends, no matter if it's parenting, no matter if it's spiritual leadership, I want you to understand something very well. Unless the Lord builds it, you build in vain. So no matter what process you are, whether it's in parenting, whether whatever it is you're trying to be successful of, understand that, the, that underneath that, God must be doing the work. Which means whatever time you're spending in discipline, whatever time you're spending in leadership, double that in prayer. Double that in prayer. Because as one famous Puritan once said, what a man is on his knees, that he is, and nothing more. But the greatest thing you can be doing right now, whether it's for your kids or someone you're discipling, is prayer. Because unless the Lord builds the house. And guess what prayer will do? This is a wonderful thing. It will begin to shift and change your heart. Even if you see little to no change in the person, it will begin to soften your own. It will begin to change the way in which you see and look at someone that you're having difficulty with. Pray, pray, pray. Let's do that now together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do a mighty work in our lives. Those parents in the room, we know this full well, full well especially if our kids have gotten up in age, or maybe even have left the house. We know this full well. There's nothing we can do to save them. That ultimate question of like, when is my kid ready? When is my kid, has he made a clear profession of faith? Those things are so hard to answer because God and you and you alone build the house. There's no way for us to know that with, with total security. So we hand that to you now. We ask now, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our church. That we would raise up the next generation to know you, to love you, and to be charged with the gospel. That would be unlike so many people of this next generation. What we primarily see everywhere we look is something totally different, a whole different message. But what would it look like for this church and the churches in this city, but certainly right here in this place, that we would be the kind of parents who care more about the heart than we do about those, those actions along the way, that we would begin to see life change in this place. I pray for our teachers right now who are in the back working with so many of our kids, that you would give them grace and mercy, that you would speak wisdom to our children right now, that you would be with us as we go home today. Those parents in the room first and foremost as we continue to encourage and, and coach and charge and exhort our children. God, that you would help us to have the mind of Christ. So often we don't know the right way to handle a situation. And they get harder and harder over time. The situations get more complex. God, 
Would you grant us the mind of Christ that we would know how to rightly be towards them? Which discipline to use? What would be the most effective, not just to fix the action, but to mold the heart? God, would you save our kids? I pray for mine all the time, but as I'm looking around at these faces, God, I feel a huge heart for them. That one of the greatest joys is that we would charge and send our kids off who know you and are going to do great things for the gospel of God. And how hard it can be if that's not so. How difficult it can be. But God, for all of those parents, no matter where they are on this journey, that you would begin to, to, to show life change in their children. I don't care if they're 12 today or, or 32. God, that you would start working in their life as you've been and that we might in our lifetime see the grace of God on our kids' lives. God, that you would do something in us as leaders and, and representatives of the cross in our community that we would model servant leadership well. That if there are bosses in this room, if there are employers, if there are leaders and corporations in this room, Lord, that, that the people underneath us would know very well that we follow the Lord. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That they would see that in us. Model that in our church. The thing that really hit me this week that I'm praying over our church more than anything, would you make us affectionately desirous of one another? That we would long to see gospel change in that neighbor sitting next to us, in the one down the aisle. God, you would do a miraculous work in this place that these would be authentic believers who walk with you and truly care for one another. That it's not just lip service, that we genuinely are praying and serving one another. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.